one of the things that's interesting when, when people are going through difficult times, as most of you know, I have done a lot of counseling in my life. I've got a counseling background. And one of the things when people come into my office, when they are going through difficulties and when they're going through hardships, when they're going through pain, one of the things that I always want to know is, 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 is what are you listening to? See, some people may come in and some life has just thrown at them a lot of things and they're really angry and they're surrounding themselves with other angry people or with people who will rile up their anger. Other people come in and they're, they're sad. Maybe they're just extremely depressed. And as I ask them, you know, what is your routine? One of the things that I often find is that they, they may go home, they may pull the shades down, Listen to sad music, watch sad movies. You see, what we're listening to affects us deeply. There's a uh, country song that gets at the, the heart of this message of a, a man who had broken up with a, a woman and he is wondering what she is listening to. He's wondering, is she listening to sad songs that that may mean that maybe she misses him? Or is she listening to happy songs, which may mean that she wants to go on and to be someone else, be with someone else. But the question in his mind is, what is she listening to? When life gets tough, when life gets scary. Last night, we were going to pick up our 15-year-old from Coolidge Park. And uh, just a routine call of, hey buddy, we're here, was met with some excitable screams as police cars are screaming down the road and people are running. We still don't know what happened. But I was outside of the van yelling at the top of my lungs, here we are, here we are, come over here, come over here. He was listening for my voice. Consider the situation of these disciples. Consider what they're going through. Jesus has just performed all these miracles and He's pulled these men to the side and He's asked them this question, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered. And then He narrows the focus and says, who do you say that I am? And they say, thou art the Christ. And then Peter, after Jesus explains, hey, you know, Jesus says that's right, after Peter uh, here's Jesus' explanation of what's going to happen next, that He's going to go and He's going to die and He's going to rise from the grave. Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes Him. And then Jesus utters the words, Get behind me, Satan. What must have been going on in Peter for him to even want to utter that response to rebuke Jesus? And then, as we heard last week, Jesus goes into this message with His disciples of what life is going to be like following Him. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow me. If you're going to follow me, you're going to lose everything. What do you think the disciples were thinking? Where do you think they were in their, in their thoughts? Where do you think that they were with their emotions? 
Do you think they were confused or maybe a little bewildered? We know that they don't fully understand what this man is telling them. One of the things that they don't understand at this point that Jesus is marching on to Jerusalem. He keeps telling them this, but they don't understand that he is going to the cross and he is taking their sin and our sin upon himself. He is dying in our place. So that all of us who believe, all of us who put our faith in Him, as He raises from the dead, we also can have assurance that we will raise with Him. They didn't understand this. They didn't get this. They haven't seen the beauty of this horrible thing that we call the cross and the crucifixion. They haven't seen it yet. And they don't understand the significance of the resurrection and the fact that Satan will be defeated. And so as they're here with Jesus, they're not getting it. My speculation is, is that they are, they're kind of stuck in maybe some of their insecurity. Maybe they're kind of stuck in some of their fear. They just maybe don't know which way is up. You know, I, I somewhat compare the Scripture that we went over last week, verses 34 through 37. I wonder, I wonder sometimes if maybe the disciples heard Jesus' words kind of like we hear a cancer diagnosis, but a specific cancer diagnosis. Let's say that you're in and you're seeing the doctor and the doctor comes and says, hey, listen, the news is, is it's cancer. But... And I know this doesn't exist, but for the sake of a sermon illustration, I can manipulate things. There is a hundred percent cure rate. But the treatment is going to be extremely difficult. The treatment is going to be so harsh that you might wish that you would die at times. But you're going to get through it and the cancer is going to be gone and you're going to be healed. You see, some as they're hearing the doctor talk to them, they never get past the word cancer. They never get past the word cancer. And I think this was maybe how Peter was when he was rebuking Jesus. He just never got past the point where Jesus said he was going to die. Some may hear this doctor's prognosis and all that they can look at is that it's going to be a tough road and they can't celebrate the reality that there's a 100% chance that you're going to be cancer-free at the end of this treatment. Some others who are more optimistic may hear the 100% cure rate and just not expect any difficulties. And so when life happens and the chemotherapy treatments become hard and difficult, it just sucks all the air out of them and they just despair. And others, others, as soon as the doctor leaves the room, probably get online and Google his performance reviews and says, this guy's a quack, I'm going to somebody else. Aren't these all responses we have to news? That what's at play is that we're complex as human beings and we hear things and we see things and we process things in certain way. And the point of our message today, the point of this passage is that Jesus knows where these men are and he's not willing to leave them there. He's not willing to leave them there. 
Jesus is wanting to bolster their faith. Jesus knows what these man, men are going to go through. He knows where he needs to get them as their leader. And he is building into them and he is molding them. And he is trying to bolster their faith and give them courage and infuse them with things that will help them on the journey that they will complete. I wonder if you, and I wonder if the disciples, missed the really good news in Mark chapter 8, verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him. And, and do, you, do you miss this good news at the end of this verse? He is coming in glory, in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. And when they heard this and when we hear this, that He's coming in glory, the glory of the Father, there's no greater glory that He could come with than with the glory of the Father, the glory of God. And there is no beings that we can even fathom that would be more powerful than angels. And so in some ways, in some ways, I think the disciples should have and we should take solace and great comfort and enjoyment and courage in the fact that he is coming in glory with of his father's glory with holy angels. And not only that, but then he turns to them and says this. Truly, I say to you that there are some of you who are standing here who will not taste death until they see there's no greater thing than this. The kingdom of God. After it has come with what? Power. That the words that our Savior is using to encourage these disciples of glory and power. That they are, should hear these words. And they should get a vision of what's going to happen. And they, they should be encouraged. Little did they know, little did they know, these three men in particular, Peter, James, and John, little did they know what Jesus was getting ready to do. The, the miracle that we read about in this passage is greater than any miracle in the Scripture except for the resurrection itself. The design of this miracle the design of this miracle is to build something into these men so that they would become men who would deny themselves, who would take up their cross, who would follow Christ, who would live unashamed, and who would gain everything because they're willing to give up the passing, fleeting treasures of this world. You see, Jesus isn't calling these men and He's not calling you and He's not calling me to a blind faith. It's not what He's doing. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, trust me. The very coming of Jesus puts on display, puts on display the goodness and the promise keeping of God in such a way that when you truly see this man for who he is, 
the only natural conclusion is to follow him. Think back again to Peter's confession just for a moment. Peter comes to this right conclusion of thou art the Christ. Think of what Peter had seen. Peter had been with Jesus. We've been studying in this book. Peter had been with Jesus and he saw him heal people. He saw him raise people from the dead. He saw him cast out demons. He saw this man walk on water. He saw this man out of nothing make food or multiply food and feed thousands and thousands of people. And he saw this man wake up and tell the wind and the waves to be still and to be calm. And it happened. But it's almost like what Jesus is saying to Peter is, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. Look at these verses. I love how Mark just goes right into it. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, brought them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured in front of them. Transfigured, transformed, he was changed. These men walk up this mountain with him, and in a moment, in a moment, as they looked at Jesus, they saw him changed right in front of their face. And what they saw was the glory of God. Can't even imagine. They saw his divinity. The radiance of his glory. Look at verse 3. His garments became radiant. And exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can ever whiten them. The gospel writers are just trying to explain what happened here, and they have no words that can really come around what just happened in front of these men. And if that weren't enough, if that weren't enough, in verse 4, Elijah and Moses appeared. This is no small event. This is something cosmic. This is something beyond anything that they or we could ever comprehend. Moses and Elijah show up. And then, and then the grand finale, if that weren't enough, if that weren't enough, the grand finale, God speaks. What a scene. What a moment. And if you know your Bible, one of the things that may come to mind is that you know this isn't the first time that God's glory has been seen. And if you don't, I'm going to give you just a little bit of a, a glimpse into that, that, that one of these men that were here, Elijah, in a time in Elijah's life, where he was bewildered. Where he was confused. 
Elijah had just gotten into the battle with the Baal worshippers and God had done this great and wonderful miracle and Elijah was just full of who God was. And then when the queen wanted to kill him and started to chase him, he flees and is in just this moment of panic and despair and anxiety and he's frustrated and God takes him and puts him in the rock and shows him his glory. But Elijah, when he sees God's glory, has to cover his face because he knows you can't see that and live. And oh yeah, by the way, the other man here, Moses, Moses had had seen a glimpse of this as well. Moses was out in the wilderness. The people were supposed to be following. He was God's spokesman. He was speaking. He was leading the people out on a journey to the promised land. That God was, had provided for these people. And God had made this promise. that I, Moses said, God, will you go before us? Will you send your angels and your glory before us? And will you fight for us? And will you help us? And God says, I will. And then Moses, still just a little bit unsure, said, Hey, can you boost my... Well, what an ask this is. Can you boost my confidence a little bit more by showing me your glory? And God, in His mercy, does it. But He only sees the backside. Right? There's this imagery here again of this mountain and this light that Moses, just being in the presence of God's glory, the brightness shone off him. And so what we have a history of and what we see is that God has worked this way before, that God, in in order to work in his people and to lead them on a journey that's going to be hard, that might be difficult, but lead them into a place that He has provided, that God doesn't leave them just haphazardly with a blind trust. God comes along and reveals Himself to them. And what we have on this mountain, what we have on this mountain is God revealing Himself to these men. When they saw His Son, they saw Him. And when they see His Son, Jesus, What a beautiful moment where they don't have to cover their faces. But as they see this man, they are seeing the glory of God. And I think these disciples. I think one of the other reasons that maybe Moses and Elijah were there is. What a cool thing. Right? You're heroes of the faith. Moses and Elijah have shown up. And I think one of the other things that God was doing is saying, oh, you trust these guys? You trust Moses, the lawgiver? You trust Elijah, the prophet? This man, my son, where Moses was a man that brought you the law, my son fulfills the law. It was all about him. Elijah, this great prophet, Gave to you the very words of God, the very prophecy, the very oracles of God. Oh, you like this guy. Well, everything he's ever said is about my son. Christ is the fulfillment. Have you ever gone to maybe a Some of us younger folks don't go to the theater anymore. 
to see actual productions. So have you maybe ever watched a movie? And one of the things that maybe happens in the scene of the movie is that maybe there's just a really busy scene and there's all sorts of things that are happening. And then maybe the scene goes white or, or, or the camera just zooms in on and the point is to bring the focus on just maybe one single thing or one single person. One of the things that I think we miss in this account is, is God doing this. Because here is you have Moses and Elijah and Jesus and they're talking, which is kind of cool. Then all of a sudden, notice in verse 7. And I want you to get the implications of what I think is going on here. The three of them are there. These men are watching what is taking place. They're blown away by what's taking place. And then a cloud forms, overshadowing them. And here comes the voice. And in this scene, it's almost like if, if this were portrayed in a movie, that the scene goes white. The voice comes forward. And then in verse 8, they all looked around all at once and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. And I think sometimes when we read that, we think, oh man, where did Elijah and Moses go? That's not the point. The point is that the focus, the focus needed to be on the right thing. That as the scene is changed in front of them, the focus had to be the right thing. And there needed to be no mistake that these men needed to look at Him. Jesus Christ stands alone. There is no one like Him. He is the sovereign King of the universe. And we and the disciples need to make sure that we get this. And God, God is so insistent that we get this and that we understand this that He just didn't let the scene unfold, but God inserted Himself and He spoke. He spoke. And you may remember, this isn't the first time in this Gospel that we have heard God speak, and He said something similar in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And back then we said that, you know, this seemed to be a quote from Psalm chapter 2, where it's talking about the King that is coming. And it, in John, in, I mean at the beginning, uh, after Jesus is baptized by John in the river, God speaks. And He says what? This is My Son. In whom I am well pleased. God puts His seal on this man, Jesus. God in the flesh. And here, here, notice the ending change. This is my son. Listen to him. You ever wonder, maybe you were reading this text, that's always a good thing to do, is to read the text we're going to be going over maybe before Sunday, or maybe as I was reading this text, did, maybe did it maybe go in your mind, 
Man, I wonder what Moses and Elijah and Jesus were talking about. Well, you're in luck because Luke tells us. If we were to go to this same account in Luke, Luke tells us the conversation. Luke tells us in chapter 9, verse 31 of his gospel, that they were speaking of his departure that was going to take place in Jerusalem. So what they were talking about was what we would call the passion narrative. What they were talking about that Jesus was going to Jerusalem. He was going to be tried. He was going to be killed. He was going to be put to death. He was going to rise again. They were talking about that departure. They were talking about that road to Jerusalem. Now something that's interesting... Is I think when they were talking about this, that it wasn't kind of one of those like pep talks of, hey Jesus, I know you can do it. You know, just. I believe, I believe that these men, Elijah and Moses, were so excited because at the resurrection, they knew. What the disciples didn't know, and that is, is that this was going to change everything. I think they were filled with excitement. I think they knew that this is the main event. And I think there is no way they could have talked about anything else. And as Luke tells us, this is what they were talking about. He uses this real interesting word that's translated into, into our text, departure. And you do not have to be a Greek student to read the word in Greek that is used here where it says departure. Even the symbols are close enough to our English letters in this case for you to understand what word it is. And the word is exodus. They were speaking with him about him leading his people, all people who have placed their faith and trust in him, into the kingdom. Listen to him. Listen to him. In fact, some scholars believe that this phrase, listen to him, is a quote from Deuteronomy. Where God is saying that there would be a prophet raised up. And it's saying, listen to him. He will take you to where you need to go. Listen to him. There will be wilderness. There will be battles. There will be fear. There will be heartache. There will be pain. There will be suffering. Listen to Him. Trust Him. Never lose sight of who He is. Never grow weary of hearing what is said. Hearing what is promised. Now, 
I'm the type of person who uh, likes to share what I see. When I see something that really excites me, I like to share that. Like even last night, I've told some of you about the scene last night, even before the sermon of all the people kind of rushing out of Coolidge Park. The boys were immediately on their phones checking on other friends, but also it was kind of a thing like, oh my goodness, can you believe what happened? And can you imagine if you were one of these three men coming down the mountain with Jesus, what you would want to do? You would want to just proclaim it. You'll never believe what we saw. And that's what makes verse 9 so mysterious. Where Jesus says when they were coming down the mountain, He gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until... Until the Son of Man rose from the dead. And, and this, is, this is pointing to the reality that they still didn't get it. That they were experiencing things and viewing things that would stick with them, but they wouldn't fully grasp until they saw what this event, this event was pointing to, the resurrection. And then at that moment, Things would start to come together. Things would start to come together. Now, if you were walking down that mountain, what questions would you have? Would you even be able to speak at all? Some of you are more processing people might just be like, I, I got to sit down for a minute. What in the world is going on here? One of the things that points to the reality that these men didn't get it is look what question they were asking. Look what question they were asking. They were worried about theology. Verse 11, they asked him saying, why is it that the scribe said that Elijah must come first? And Jesus, Jesus could have said, oh, you guys, come on. Do you not see what you just saw? Jesus essentially says that, but in a more loving and kind way. He answers the question. He said, no, 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 that's right. Elijah does come first. And notice what he says. Again, notice what he's pointing to. Elijah has come. I'm here. He doesn't want them to miss it. He doesn't leave them where they are. Did they get it? It may be a little disheartening. It sometimes it is disheartening to sometimes it's disheartening. Sometimes it it's encouraging because of where we are to read through the gospels and see, you know, these disciples and you see this event happen and then you go over to verse 30 and 32. Just a little bit later from there they went on went out and began to go through Galilee. And uh, he did not want anybody to know about it, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And when he has been killed, three days later, he will rise. And in verse 32, they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask. The very reality of, of, of Peter in, in verse 5 where Peter was terrified, it says, when he saw Moses and Elijah and Jesus was shining, and Peter just can't keep his mouth shut. He's got to blurt out something. He's the guy uncomfortable with silence, I guess. 
let's just build three tabernacles. He didn't get it. And maybe what Peter was thinking is, this would be awesome. And it would be awesome. You could make a pilgrimage up to the top of this mountain and you could see Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. A lot of you have told me I need to go see the replica of the ark in Kentucky, which I want to do and I will do at some point, but I think this would be better. But it also demonstrates that Peter just wasn't getting it. That Jesus is continually saying, no, no, no. I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise. I'm going to die, I'm going to rise. And they just don't get it. Until. At the beginning of the pandemic, um, in His sovereignty, we had decided to go through First and Second Peter. And if you were with us in that study, you knew that First and Second Peter uh, was written to a church to encourage them who were going through uh, trials and tribulations and hardships and difficulties. And Peter is writing this letter and it is dripping with the promises of God. And that you can stake your life on these promises. And in Second Peter, we get some of these instances. I just, you don't have to turn there. I just want to point something out to you and I want you to see something. But in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, he's talking about Jesus, seeing His divine power has granted to us everything. So in Jesus, you have everything pertaining to life and godliness. You've got it. It's there. And then he says, act on it in verse 5. And then a little bit later in this same chapter, in verse 12, Peter says, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth. And then notice what Peter is saying here. Peter's saying, I'm going to remind you of these things because my time in this body is coming to an end. That Peter was aware that he was getting ready to be killed for this gospel that he was proclaiming. He was getting ready to be killed for proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection. And he was urging his readers to trust him. And notice, as he's doing this, verse 15, it says, I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. That if he, if he leaves, if he is killed, that he wants them to be able to call these things to mind. And notice what he grounds this in. Hear these words. Peter got it. We did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance of this was made to Him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard the utterances made from heaven when we were with Him where? On this mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention. Church. Church, what are you listening to? John, at the beginning of his gospel, 
I, I, I think this was in his mind when he says, do you remember in John's gospel as he's laying out his gospel and you need to listen, you need to see who this Jesus is. And he says this, we beheld his glory. What are you listening to? Are you looking at who he is? And what he has done? And you may say to me, Lewis, we are on top of a mountain and I haven't seen Moses. I haven't seen Elijah. I haven't heard an audible voice and nobody has turned white. And I want to give you something. I want to be nice. Do you know what a miracle this book is? We can open this book and we have the very words of Jesus. This man whom God said, listen to him. God himself in flesh has spoken and he has written it down in a book. You will do well to pay attention to it. And not only just paying attention to his words, but that we get to see who He is and how He acted. And we are to read this book and it should bolster our faith and it should bolster our confidence. And that's not all He's given us. You see, when we come into a relationship with Christ, we also get His Spirit. His Spirit lives inside of us and it helps guide us into all truth. It helps convict. It helps us to to love our Savior better and to love others better. And we're also given prayer that Jesus Christ is interceding for us so that we can go to God and we can pray that our will would be conformed with His so we're not left out here just scrambling around. We can cast our cares upon Him. That we can commune with Him. So what are you listening to? Are you listening to your own fears? Your own worries? Are you listening to your own impulses? That want to cling on to the world and the things of this world more than the glory that is before us? Or is what you're listening to producing in you a boldness? Producing in you a boldness that even this morning, even this morning, as you hear these words, this is my son, listen to him, that a boldness is being built in you. A boldness that leads, that leads to the courage to deny yourself. That leads to the courage to pick up your cross. That leads to the courage to follow him. And leads to the courage to not be ashamed Of this gospel. Because this gospel. This gospel. Is the power of God. For salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. God I pray. That we would see. In the hearing. Of your word the glory of Your Son. And that as sojourners, as those who are 
on this path this morning that you would have us on, that we would be encouraged. That we know that the journey is difficult, but we know that one day we will be changed. And God, I thank you that you're changing us now. I thank you that you're changing us now. Help us to live a life. Help us to live a life in your grace and in your truth. And as encouragers to one another. It's in your son's name we pray.